This is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. Get along down the road. We got a long, long way to go. Scared to live, scared to die. We ain't perfect, but we try. Get along while we can. Always give love the upper hand. All right, Brendan. So we're here <laughs> January 24th. Um, inaugurations behind us. Some things new, uh, some things familiar. Tom Brady playing on Championship Sunday. Um, unfortunately, not for the New England Patriots, but uh, I digress. What are we talking about this week? Yeah, people listen to the biggest stories of 2020 episode that was on Ricky's list of biggest stories of 2020. So, God. Uh, uh, so, actually, this week uh, is going to be a little bit different. Um, we have. After Ricky unilaterally made the decision last week, if people listen to the end of last week's episode, Ricky said, well, we're not, that's going to be the conclusion of season one, which was news to me at the time. Uh, so now that it is season two, though, we are going to try to do a couple of different things. And one of those things is uh, try to bring on guests occasionally uh, to get different, different perspectives on different issues. And so we're going to have our first guest on this episode. Um, and so we'll talk, uh, it's Ollie Starnes who some people might know, um, but I, I imagine most people don't. Uh, but so we're going to talk to Ollie um, later in the episode. And we'll also talk our hopes for the, the Biden-Harris administration. Um, Ricky's going to give a little bit of a rundown of, you know, last week we talked uh, retrospectively about the Trump-Pence um, administration and kind of the, the biggest successes and failures of, of their in administration. And now we're going to look ahead to the Biden-Harris administration and, and what we hope that they accomplish over these next four years. So that, that'll be the, the bulk of the episode. But before we do all that, um, because it is apparently uh, season two, I'm going to kick it back to you, Ricky, uh, just to kind of do a little bit of a reset for uh, anybody that has picked it up, you know, over the last few episodes, few weeks, few months. Um, in terms of like you know what we're doing here, our, our purpose, our vision for for this show. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so we we wear multiple hats here at the uh, at the Gentleman's Disagreement podcast. Brendan's our director of marketing, but like, <laughs> just on a need to know basis for these executive <laughs> decisions that I make over here, and he he didn't need to know until we got to the end. There, you got a little uh, a little surprise, but yeah, the uh, <laughs> um. I think now feels like an appropriate time to do a reset just for a number of different reasons. But I think, um, you know, as we got into a lot of these issues that sort of unfolded over the past four months, um, not that we got like, not that we got away from what we were, what we set out to do. Um, but I guess, yeah, in, in some ways, Things evolved, right? It's yeah. Like actually doing this versus like when we talked this summer of, all right, here's our vision for doing the show. But then when we get into it and week to week and we're reacting to news, yeah, things, like I said, things evolved, not in a good way or a bad way. It just did. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the um, challenges that we certainly did not uh, envision solving, but one of when, when we sort of set out to create a podcast that we felt was different from what was out there today, one of the main things that we talked about um, was that there just wasn't as much room for gray area. You had to be for something or against something. You had to be, it. you know, 
every issue had to be black or white and it would tell you, you know, your party's affiliation sort of would tell you how you have to interpret certain events. Um, and I think we know that reality just doesn't fall neatly into those, into those buckets. And um, I think what we tried to tease out a little bit with, you know, part of why I wanted you to speak on conservatism uh, a week, a week or two ago um, was just that, like that, that the right, even if, uh, you know, Donald had Donald had Donald Trump as a figurehead for the party um, does elicit a lot of feelings that even in, in those circumstances, the party was not, you know, a monolith then. And I think similarly, the left um, is not either. And I, I mean, obviously, you saw that play out more uh, emphatically during the primary. And there, there has been a lot of kind of, co- you know, coalescing around Biden heading into the general election. Um, but these differences of opinion within the party exist as much as they do uh, from party to party. Um, yeah. And one thing I think we've gotten a fair amount of feedback uh, around our title in terms of like a gentleman's disagreement and people listening and being like, well, it actually doesn't seem like there's much disagreement. And, and I think part of that is is very intentional, that we are striving to find common ground and whether we actually come to an agreement at the end of the episode is kind of beside the point. You know, sometimes I feel like we do, sometimes we don't, but the goal is to try to, you know, have these conversations, highlight some of the nuances, the gray areas, like you said, and, and find some, at least things that we can agree upon, whether or not we agree with the whole issue, or at least, I mean, at minimum, see why we disagree about things. Uh, I will say, and I feel badly about this from, from my end of the spectrum where it's been hard, uh, like with all of the recent events and kind of the, the Trump led events over these past few weeks and few months to, in my opinion, to, to really, for me to like disagree about a lot of like your takes on things, because I, I feel similarly. So I, I feel like if we had done this, you know, in 2019, we would have had maybe more spirited debate about some of like the policy issues, but I, I feel like so much of what's happened in the last few months has been like over like it, far more important in my opinion than, than policy disagreements and things that you and I as as people, as, as Americans actually agree on pretty substantially. So I think in, in that sense, uh, there's maybe not been as much disagreement as, as we had originally hoped intended. Uh, but I think it's very like circumstances drive a lot of what we talk about. And it's like, it's, I'm not, I don't necessarily go into things trying to agree with you or disagree with you. I just give my takes, you give yours. And it, it feels like recently we've been largely on the same page, but I don't, I don't think there's any guarantee that that continues. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I kind of expect that it won't. Um, this is potentially like a, a low key sixth hope for the Biden administration is that a lot of that noise and clutter, that's not really, it's definitely not constructive. It, it doesn't, add to um, sort of policy debates and discussions that we had with the Trump administration, just like the constant circus of, uh, or, or uh, you know, the, the Ferris wheel of people hopping on in and out of the administration and things that really dominated the news cycle that didn't really have anything to do with moving forward legislation or addressing any like actual issues uh, impacting um, America. Right. And, and in that sense, I'm, and I've said this before, like, I'm really excited to debate these issues. Like there's already things and maybe we'll get into this later, but maybe not. But even over the course of the first, you know, 
four or five days of the Biden administration, there are things that I already take issue with. So, uh, but I, I'm excited to have those <clears throat> policy debates and disagreements because I don't feel like we were really able, that was uh, one of our original intentions. And I don't feel like we were able to do it given everything that has happened, but um, that's certainly, I guess we could say the, a hope for season two of, of, of the podcast. So this is why you needed the seasons. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, when when we come back, we will be joined by our very first guest, uh, Ollie Starnes, and um, we'll see what he has to say, uh, his hopes uh, for the Biden-Harris administration. You know how I feel. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. All right, so we welcome on our very first guest to the Gentleman's Disagreement podcast. Really excited about this. Uh, this is one of my close friends, uh, Oliver Martin Starnes. Ollie is how I know him as. Uh, so welcome, Ollie. We, we appreciate you being here uh, and taking some time to join us here. And being, being the first, being the guinea pig for, for Ricky and I's interview skills. Yeah, no pressure. Like, we might not have another guest if this goes sideways. <laughs> All right. So I want to give the people out there just a little bio and Ollie uh, about Ollie and uh, Ollie, feel free to hop in if I, if I miss anything um, or anything important. So um, Ollie is born and raised in Roxbury, New Jersey. Uh, not as cool as the Roxbury from Boston, but that, that's all right. It's like the second best Roxbury I know. I. Uh, so, but I know Ollie from, we went to Trinity College together. So that's where Ollie and I met, uh, Trinity College in Hartford. Uh, Ollie, you might want to comment on this, but when we first met, or Ollie did not like me. Did not like me, did not like my roommate. Ollie, do you have any thoughts 10 years, 15 years later on that? Uh, yeah, that's accurate. That's so accurate now as it was then. It wasn't fun <laughs> very much. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So we met and Ollie got over his, his dislike, I think. Uh, but Ollie played football at Trinity. Uh, he majored in political science and video games. Um, I'm only, half, <laughs> only saying that half jokingly. Uh, and then he also stayed at Trinity to get his graduate degree in public policy. Uh, worked for Senator Lieberman in Hartford for a little bit um, and then moved back to Jersey. Uh, and from what I know, and this is one of the reasons why Ollie's here and what I want to hear more about is since you've been back in Jersey, you spent, you know, four or five years at least, I think, you know, interning, running campaigns, uh, doing some like caucus work uh, before. I know you ran in 2019 for the Morristown Council. Morristown is, uh, is kind of the township in Jersey, uh, people that don't know. And then uh, this past year ran for the Morris um, School District Board of Education. So did I miss anything there? Anything else you'd want to, or any comments on any of that? That's it. That was it. Um, so I just wanted to add, it was interesting for me because I did a little, little binge listening to the podcast. All right. Efforts to prepare. And episode one, hearing you talk about being alone in North Dakota and reaching out to Ricky and then not getting a response right away. First of all, it was hilarious. <laughs> well, true. It was devastating to me at the time. <laughs> all alone in North Dakota, can't get a response. <laughs> But like it also reminded me of because you were texting me during that time too and like that was uh you know in like i was like in the nitty-gritty cutting my teeth getting my experience and 
just listening to yours or at least reading your experience through text was it brought back a lot of memories hearing episode one and it was interesting well that's a it's a that brings now that you've said that brings back a lot of memories for me and so i was driving like all over you and i were kind of doing similar things working for very different candidates on in very different parts of the country but uh i remember like on these long drives it would be like at night i'd be driving back from you know door knocking or something in I don't know, like Dickinson, North Dakota, which is, if anybody knows where that is, credit to them. I uh, in calling you and just being like, "Yo, oh, this was my experience today. I had this conversation with with this voter," and then you kind of, uh, you know, saying the same thing on your end. And yeah, that was that was really fun and interesting. So along those lines, uh, obviously, like looking back on it, you have a political science degree, you have a public policy degree, so this is something you've always been interested in, in working for Lieberman certainly, but. Um, you know, why, what was the impetus when you got back to Jersey to get involved in like the, the grassroots campaigning? Like, why, why do all of that? Right. So my impetus was my mother and trying to follow her footsteps as someone who retired this year. I guess she retired in 2020 after 30 years of uh, service with uh, the Department of Defense. She was a civilian uh, chemical engineer. And me not necessarily having those, you know, chemical engineering, you know, uh, smarts, if you will. I was like, all right. So that led, that's why I pursued, first of all, political science. And, you know, always pursuing higher education was something that she's big on. So that was another reason why I stayed and got the public policy masters. Um, the reason for the grassroots thing coming back to New Jersey is because there's, there's no roadmap to get into a political career in New Jersey politics, you know? Um, and I just was really wanting to go in at the ground floor and work my way to the top. That was my mentality. I said, there's no roadmap. Okay. Well, there's always the baseline roadmap, which is start as low as you can and work as hard as you can and now see where it takes you. And that's, that's why I did that. Yeah. And how did you, how did you find like, kind of throwing yourself in there, I guess, like, I'd be like, what was your experience? Like you and I have kind of talked about this a little offline, but I'd, I'd be curious, you know, especially a few years later, you kind of reflecting back on that. Uh, it's not easy kind of throwing It's the right, I totally agree. It's the right way to do it is to really throw yourself at the bottom and, and learn, like you said, the nitty gritty aspects of it. It's a lot of things where I think unless you've done the campaign work, you have no idea of like that nitty gritty stuff where it takes, you know, you know knocking on doors and making those phone calls and, and, and leading events where <laughs> there are not that many people there. Like those type of things are, are like, it's the behind the scenes things that no one sees when we have inauguration day, but everyone in politics starts with those things. So I'm um, curious to hear like your reflections on like your experiences the last few years doing that work. I would say just generally speaking, you know, let's let's put in a time frame from 2014 till present day, 2021. I would say it was really crazy to kind of reflect on everybody who, for instance, came, I'm sorry, who, who went off to college and came back I'm actually just reflecting on a, an experience over the summer, um, so this isn't necessarily answering your question. Let me let me stop and start over. <laughs> I apologize. Um, Ollie, if you if you listen to more of our episodes, this is Ricky and I all the time being like, "What what what were we talking about?" <laughs> I'm like, so many thoughts, and I want to go, but yeah. I want to focus at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in retrospect. 
Uh, I'm certainly thankful for the experience that I put myself through. It's taught me everything I know up until this point. And here's what I wanted to say. Like, if you think about 2014 and 2021, that might be perhaps like the golden age of networking and like meeting people in person and like attending events and shaking hands and exchanging business cards. Like that is a moment in time that's like clearly over and I don't think that we're going to get back there anytime soon. So that that's my first reflection is like, okay, everything that happened from 2014 until now is kind of something that I need to like hold on to and just really keep track of in terms of, data in terms of email lists in terms of you know people i met over the years like because networking again is really changed forever and i'm a big networker it's all about networking for me um so but my uh you know talk about partisanship real quick you know um in 2014 partisanship was pure it was everything it was the only thing i you know blue blue no matter who and uh <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that before. You know, that's that was the the feeling and everything. And you know, um, twenty four. And I'm again reflecting on my little cram session for your show, thinking about like the presidential election of twenty sixteen and like you know backing Hillary based on like my party affiliation and you know just a whole laundry list of things. Um, I've all changed, you know, I'm, I have a much more different perspective now in 2021, you know, and I wouldn't have that if not for my experience, my individual experience, you know, through those last five years or so, five or six years. So my started in 2014, it's much different than it is now. It, it's like, it's night and day in a sense. Yeah. I want to come back to that partisanship point uh, in a little bit. I, and I guess my final question about like you personally is how did you decide to make that that decision to jump from doing the behind the scenes work to putting yourself out there throwing throwing your name in the ring being the man in the arena all those cliches and and running for things which i think uh sometimes i think like wow we're we're young like i I feel like we're not necessarily ready for these things and other times i look and i see some of these people that are in these offices i'm like oh they're pretty young too and i guess my it's something that at this age I'm, i'm trying to kind of wrestle with where it's like it actually is that necessarily like there can be people our age that are actually making these decisions and are not too young to make those decisions. And so I, I don't know, like any kind of curious your, your thoughts on all of that and how much, if any, that played into your decision to, to, you know, make yourself a candidate as opposed to working for other candidates. 150% that went behind my decision to do what I did, what I did. And I'll take you back to 2016, a year into my, internship slash whatever experience cutting my teeth that was when a kid who i graduated from high school with decided to run for office in in our hometown uh that we grew up in and heavily republican town it was a special election where only certain sections of the town convert can vote for certain candidates so that's just you know for context but ultimately you know he was and we were i was his campaign manager able to secure a victory. He became the first Democrat elected since the 1970s um, and the youngest councilman in the township history. Um, That whole experience really defined how I would move from 2015 onward. It's like, and to your point, you look at some people who, who have won elections and 
you're you're like okay and you're comparing yourself to them because it's a mystifying sort of thing to understand qualifications for office i ran for school board and one of the mystifying qualifications is that you have to have a child in the school district or you have to be a homeowner in order to be qualified to run for school board when really like if you demystify then you learn the only qualifications are being over the age of 18 and being literate so yeah i after you know four years of campaign managing and being in the back where it is my preference to be like i love being in the back honestly that's where i'd rather be running for office you have to be in the front but if you think about it you have to be in the front for as long as you run for office until you win and then you know that's basically if you run your campaigns right that's basically it so yeah after seeing everybody you know do it for the last few years it was like 2019 came around ward election same kind of conditions from 2015 that i saw my friend win that i helped my friend win same conditions except here in marstown and i said okay it's time i have to do it and without any consideration about who the opponent was because again it didn't matter it was really merely about okay i'm done you know seeing it now it's time for me to try it so that was my impetus behind you know, from background to foreground. And one of the things that Ricky and I have talked a lot about, and definitely curious to hear your perspective on this, is how, while you say you're like, you're very partisan, and that's true, and that may have evolved over the past few years, but, you know, very much, uh, I don't know, I don't want to paint you uh, in a position, and correct me if I'm wrong, I guess, like, I would say that you are a, what I would call like a pretty normal person. Uh, and while you might have some, no, everybody's laughing right now, but I, uh, <laughs> maybe not, whatever, correct me if I'm wrong about that, Ollie. but I'm saying like one thing that Ricky and I have talked a lot about is like that our candidates seem to be increasingly radical and there's, there's, it just doesn't seem to be a space right now for what I would say normal or moderate people and whether or not your policy beliefs are super moderate, like it just feels like there aren't people that are going to have a discourse and want to work with other people and don't see the other side as, as evil and ready to kind of tear down the country. Uh, you, can you, if you want to hop in and kind of add on to that thing that we've talked about at all? No, I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's it, that we just have these conversations and then you look to the media or you look to social media and try and see where these conversations are taking place. And it's always just like, you know, one side is communist, the other side is fascist, and like the whole world is burning all the time. Um, wanting to inject yourself into that space, I guess, is is something that I'm curious about. How do you? How did you kind of come to that decision? And then maybe particularly, like, why the school? Why the school board? So, yeah, I mean, that's a huge, huge thing. I mean, let's let's just start with. 2016 and the presidential campaign and all the nasty toxic rhetoric on social media during that time my mindset you know as the president of the young democrats in the county was to in essence be above the comments section right be above that you know really low bar exchange of I don't even really want to name what like <laughs> talking on the comment section is because it's it's nothing. It's like it's the worst part of society. Um, but I said be above it, be above it, be above it. And then obviously that changed once you know the election results didn't come out the way that I expected it to. So I was like, 
you know, maybe it was around the midterms, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was around the midterms. A couple of years later, I was like, I'm no longer above the comment section. I'm in these comments. I'm <laughs> <laughs> and like I mean you know I'm tired if people can put out ridiculous nonsense and be okay with it then I can put out something that's intelligent and smart and to the point and like not care about it either and then just let it sit there and let people react and but that's an exhaustive that's an exhausting thing it is physically draining and it's not it, like there's more of them than there are of you and there's not enough like you don't have all the reason in the world to convince somebody who can't or doesn't want to be convinced in the comment section. Like that's not the place. Um, yeah. And so fast forward, we'll go to 2019. Uh, I ran for town council and um, in my exchanges with people, there'd be certain things that will come up and that would be difficult for them to articulate because they don't want to come off as racist or what have you. That was a flag for me. So I was like, you know, just say it, go say it, explain it. That's fine. I get it. You know, and I would, I would throw some, I would return some of the things that were said to me in a way that, you know, would help them make it feel like it would be easier to repeat in public next time it came to their mind. Right. And then 2020, the reason why I ran for school board came after the summer of 2020, which there was a huge human rights campaign throughout our county in Mars County, where we would go from town to town and uh, every week and just hear first person testimonials about, you know, their, their lived experience in the school system. And, you know, it became clear to me that there is a massive opportunity for systemic change on some level, no matter how small it is. Although the Mars school district happens to be a substantial and considerable level. Uh, for systemic change to be affected. And I, it was very clear to me based on what I was seeing. Um, and also another thing about seeing a lot of different things had to do with COVID and the transition of public meetings to uh, virtual spaces, because now we can be in 10, you know, municipalities, you know, from the seat of our, our home, you know, our chair. So it really it was like, okay, this is what's going on in this town over here. This is what's going on in this town over here. I makes me appreciate where my town is, but also not only us, but everybody's got a far way to go. And that's why I ran for school board. So that was impetus there. That's, it's kind of like an incredible journey. You can see obviously at the beginning where education is, is so important in your family and in your own life um, and how, I mean, it's, it's something, you know, I grew up with as well. And, and Kelly did too, I know. And, and where do you start for the transformation, right? Like a big issue I think that we think about is just like lack of critical thinking. Why these comment sections get as like absurd as they do is because people, it, it feels like there's, you know, that, you know, whether that education level starts in first grade or kindergarten or, or whatever, it's not, you know, what, what people are thinking, but it's how they think, um, that we, that we struggle with. And it's then, you know, Kelly, Kelly hit you with some softballs about like, uh, you know, the sort of the facts in your life. So I want, I want to get into just maybe a little bit more, like what, what gives you, what gives you hope about the current situation? Cause I, I, I was telling Kelly earlier, occasionally I'll get caught in one of these comment sections and I'm, I'm doing that doom scrolling and I'm like, I don't know where we're going to, this not, there's nothing for me in here. I can't, there's no hope. Oh, you need to give me some hope because I've been fighting a losing battle with Ricky over here. So help me out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you know, you haven't had much to work with, you know, 
<laughs> we have to play the cards we're dealt, and you've been dealt bad hand. <laughs> fact. That's a fact. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what was your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, and then Kelly has problems with this, too, because I just start talking in one place, and I end up somewhere else. I think there was a question in there, but if I, if I collect myself for a second, what I was thinking about is obviously there's like the, the rhetoric outside of the political space, but even, um, even sometimes if, you know, where, where you get in, there's still a sense of like, we, once we're here, we still can't get things accomplished. So what, where, what do you see that gives you hope, especially like working within the system? I think, um, for me personally, as, as, as someone on the left, there's like, yeah, I want to see change within the system, but sometimes I think about just like, what if we just smash the whole thing and started it all over? So as somebody who is like, I'm committed to working within the system, here's an avenue I think I can help have impact. Like, what are the things that you look at that give you hope? Oh, God, yeah, good question. I'll tell you what, uh, all 2020 is an exercise in identifying silver linings, so I'll get to a good response to you very soon. I mean, for me, I'm an eternal optimist. Hope is easy to find, you know, that's just what it is. Maybe um, it's the year, like the month we were born, Kelly, I see you. It could be like a cancer thing. I don't know. Uh, But I'm always optimistic, eternally optimistic. Um, I will say I get hope, you know, from activism. I get hope from other people, I think, really. Um, Understanding that you're not alone. So... Um, for example, right now, this is what, what's the date right now? It's the end of January and a lot of boards like municipal boards, like board of adjustment or, you know, the County board of human relations, all these boards are having the reorganization to kick off their goal setting meetings. And that is something in and of itself, a little bit of a, you know, source of uh, hope because it's like, yeah, we just went through 12 months of what we went through, and now we're sitting here talking about what we want to achieve in 2021. That is a hopeful exercise in and of itself. Um, I sit on a variety of different boards. Like I just mentioned, I do sit on the Board of Adjustment for my, for my town of Marstown, uh, the Environmental Commission, as well as the County Human Relations Commission. And, you know, the, the latter one especially, it's – it's it's composed of a, a huge multi-generational multicultural coalition of like people who hold all these various positions across the county who are on board for being an active presence in the county for whatever 2021 may bring in terms of you know people having uh like a number to call or you know they have a resource to contact you know with something that may not be appropriate for the police or for something that they might not want to tell their friend, you know, um, I get hope. Planning gives me hope. I get hope in planning. Like, um, I'll say that I've been doing a lot of planning after going over two in local elections. And I realized that perhaps being elected official doesn't necessarily give you, you know, we'll do like the ability to do all the change that you might want to do. And that's my perspective from, you know, losing two elections and from like volunteering for the last six years is that I can do more by holding electeds accountable than I can by being elected. And there's, I think that's, that's something that you can only really come to understand 
by yourself. I don't think if you have the aspiration to run for office, you're going to listen to me tell you, you know, just keep holding them accountable, you know, don't run. So I get hope to playing. Like I, I plan, I have, um, plan to open a, a business for a long time. And I recently did it this week. Uh, I registered an LLC and it's breaking news on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was, you got me hyped when you reached out to invite me to. to <laughs> All right. Well, I'm curious. I'm, I'm really excited. Let's, let's hear about it. Let's hear about the business. So the business, uh, it's called All in Moderation. And what it, what the main purpose of it is, is to essentially keep the conversation going. What does that mean? Well, there's a bunch of conversations that need to be had. And too often, they are occasions. Like they are, you know, let's talk about this because it's this day. Or let's talk about that because it's this month, right? So all in, moder- all in moderation is like an ever-present platform for conversations, uncom- uncomfortable conversations to happen. And I'll serve as a moderator. You know, I will facilitate these conversations, uh, community-based, one-on-one, or family-based, or what have you. Like, uh, there needs to be a forum where people feel comfortable to talk without having to feel like there's some kind of consequence tied to it. And that is what all in all moderation seeks to do it was i got the idea about this ongoing conversation from 2017 um we had a gubernatorial election and for the first time you know i I mind you we have elections every year in new jersey but 2017 was the first time i'd seen a, a panel hosted that was mainly to be talking about social issues, you know, like issues on, you know, race or what have you. That was unheard of to me prior. And I was really fascinated by it. And obviously it inspired me. So later that year, I did something similar. You know, I tried, not nearly as successful, but I tried. And um, then I did... You know, most recently I did one in 2020 in March, and that was for a special election. Only certain Democrats were eligible to vote for it based on your legislative district in the state. Um, you know, without without my party affiliation, I wouldn't be able to participate. Only some 300 people voted in a special primary to for a statewide race, and I held a forum on race, essentially, on issues that are important to the black community. I held that forum and. I think, you know, I think I'm not going to say it serves purpose because that would be like it had some purpose. Um, you know, it, it serves purpose in a way that, you know, allowed aspiring public officials to talk from their heart about like very uncomfortable issues that they wouldn't have any any reason to talk about without, you know, other than sitting at this table in front of the people that they're competing against trying to win the special election. Um, That kind of thing is like, that's it for me. Like if I can be a presence that people need to come to and say, you know, if they want public trust, then they got to come in front of the forum and, you know, speak from the heart on issues that, you know, will not be asked to them otherwise. Right. So that's that's really really what it's all about and along the way i will use my expert not expertise but my professional experience and and grants and grant programs to help nonprofits or you know um 
small small organizations to like get grant grant funding or I'll also help consult people who would like to run for office locally. This is all, mind you, for Marstown area, North Jersey, Mars County. This is this is like this is really that's another part of it. It's really local. Like I'm not trying to be some national moderator. I'm not trying to help people. You know, I would like to help people in faraway places like you know in the Midwest or whatever. Understand, but this is really for like Mars County, and I'm trying to do what I can in my area to see, like to, you know, help solve the problem. Like people don't want to have a full conversation, a full exchange of ideas. And I want to help facilitate that. So that's why I made the business. All right. Well, you, you said uh, there's like a lot I want to touch on with what you said. A lot of really interesting things. Uh, let's, I want, I do want to take it national um, for na- for now. And because you mentioned all of the things that give you hope. And one of the things you said was like this time of year where people are planning and looking ahead for you know what's to come gives you hope. And I agree. I, I you know, with the inauguration uh, this past Wednesday, I, I had a chance to watch a large part, portion of it for the first time in, in years. Uh, and it was cool. It was whether, whatever your feelings are about Biden or about Biden Harris or about Democrats controlling, you know, the, the level, all three, you know, kind of levels of government. Uh, I thought it was a really hopeful day. And I know not everyone in the country feels like that, but I, I, the, the, the circumstance, the pomp and circumstance, the whole event did give me a lot of hope. And I will say like Amanda Gorman's poem, like blew me away. And Ricky and I were talking about this offline where this is not like spoken word is not the new phenomenon. Like it's been, that's like, it's being treated as in some you know areas of, of the media. Right. Like, but she, her poem in particular was, it was moving. I texted one of my friends. I was like, can I vote for her? Uh, and maybe someday I will. But so this is my question for you. And Ricky and I are going to talk more about this too, is what, what is your hope for the Biden administration? What, and particularly, I would love to hear your, you know, your hopes for their plans to address the, the, the race issues, the systemic inequalities that exist in our country. I think uh, I feel oftentimes where things bubble up like they did in the summer of 2020 and it becomes it there was a there was a sense of urgency there and, and it, it's not the first time it's happened i think it was it's it, it was the largest scale that i've seen it happen on like that sense of urgency across the country uh which was great and necessary in my opinion but then other things happen and the news cycle moves on and while I think some people still feel that urgency to address these you know, systemic inequalities that we were talking about in the summer of 2020, I also think, well, now there, there are other things, like obviously COVID and the economy and climate change, and all of those things are equally important, but it, it feels, and I don't think this is the first time it's happened, I think it happens far too often where the racial, the systemic inequalities get, get pushed to the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like your thoughts on that and what, what you're looking for out of the Biden administration on, on a more national level. Yeah, I would certainly agree with you. These things typically come and go in flashes. Um, one of them, one of the repeated phrases of the summer of 2020 was in essence, you know, this might be a moment for you, but it's a movement for all of us here. Like this is essentially our lives. This will not end when the cameras go away. So, um, that's to be, you know, the echo that does happen. And that's another drive of mine is to, again, in, in the act of holding electeds accountable, you have to do it with a fervency of, you know, impatience for change and progress. Like, 
Um, and there's a way to go about it without being like rabid foaming from the mouth, right? But that's the, that's the energy. You want to be impatient for change and progress, like fast progress immediately. What's the holdup and why? Um, again, like I just realized you can do more from, you know, holding people accountable than you can perhaps from in the, in the position that you're in based on what it is exactly you want to do. Um, that's just, that's just how I see it personally. Like, um, not to say you can't be a change maker from an office position. In fact, I know you can, like, um, you know, the president has the ability to, you know, set the tone, you know, he has a responsibility in fact, to set the tone, you know, even though he can't necessarily wave a wand and do X, you can certainly sign an executive order that may help get X be accomplished. You know, these, these things he can do to set the tone are what I'm hoping for, um, you know, from this administration, if I had like one wish, I would think it would, it would be reparations. I would like to see a reparation program or what have you be, you know, materialized because I've just been doing my, doing my research, you know, topically. And, um, I think my influences over the years have changed and are continuing to change. And, this year, one of my strongest influences will be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which may not come as a surprise, but, you know, I would tell you, like, the last 18 months, the last two years, I was more so, you know, Malcolm X kind of energy, you know, after losing an election in 2019 and, you know, watching some documentaries leading up to, you know, January 2020, and then, you know, we lose Kobe, you know, Kobe passes away and then, you know, almost get into a war, you know, with Iran and um, all these different things that that lead up to, um, you know, just this, the summer of 2020. So uh, I went off on a tangent there and I apologize, but it, it fits with the podcast. <laughs> you don't need to apologize. Very that. much on brand. Oh my God, there's just so much to get into. You know, you gave us the the kind of, if you had one wish for, for a policy uh, put in place to sort of start to address, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, systemic racism, right? And what it, what it has done to communities of color, to the black community, especially in this country. I've, I guess I wonder, like, even sort of beyond that, that, that on, honestly for me would be like a good first step, but how do we really, you know, we, we look at the polarization of the political spectrum, but, but off, but a lot of that in there is just sort of race relations in this country being where they are today. Like, how do we, what else are, what else are we missing? What else do we need to start to see? Um, and I, and I, you know, leave the Biden administration out of it. This could be a 20 year, 50 year plan, but it's something that I've been thinking about that. I don't really know what that, you know, what those steps look like. And I'm curious if, if you've been, you know, what you're thinking about. I think it's, I think it's about reaching a common understanding. I am thinking about reaching a common understanding with like our fellow man. Um, yeah, I no, I, I mean, I, I think, I think, as as you started to say that, I mean, one common theme that I've been thinking about is like, how do we frame uh, sort of 
like tr treating racism as an affliction, as something that is afflicting all of us as a country and not just, you know, it doesn't just benefit the black community. It actually, like, as we start to get more integrated, like everybody will benefit from a society that is less racist, not, you know, not just the people who are the subject of the racism, for sure. Well said, absolutely well said. Um, I'd just like to quickly share about like the evolution of influences that I kind of touched on earlier, where right now it's Martin Luther King, but like for the last two years, it was Malcolm X because of like all the crap I went through with the Democratic Party and what have you. Um, but like I said, now it's back to Martin Luther King and he spoke on, on, on this very thing and he kind of he kind of took it back to India where I believe it was conversations with Mahatma Gandhi regarding the uh, the caste system and how untouchables were, you know, they were they received reparations in the form of scholarships and, and in the form of educational attainment opportunities where if somebody from a higher caste and somebody who was considered untouchable applied for the same college, then the college is forced to accept the untouchable. Like if they have like the same qualifications outside of caste, right? And that, you know, that was a Mahatma Gandhi led, um, you know, policy trip, policy move in India. Um, and so that kind of like, if you think about it, bring it to the United States and how, um, you know, after slavery and reconstruction, you know, the federal government provided subsidies for farmers to help them, you know, learn how to work their land, their, their, the land they have received from the government and, you know, get loans and, and federal monies to buy equipment to like mechanize their farms. And, and then like as, as African Americans having to be told to like, pick ourselves up by the bootstraps after you know what was and in some ways continues to be the institution of slavery in this country is like a hard you know thing to kind of swallow it's a hard thing to swallow it's a little bit hip hop you know it's a little bit hypocritic it's a little bit um it's a little bit of hypocrisy there to receive so much federal aid you know just to build up your farm and then tell you know starving black people to pick themselves up it's like you know, and like bring it to 2021 or 2020, the Trump, uh, the Trump uh, time in office, he was through his trade deals, ultimately subsidizing farmers who didn't necessarily have to work their land because of bad trade deals. You know, farmers were being incentivized not to work because they were, you know, Trump's Trump had you know, stimulus money for, you know, people in the agriculture sector who were being hurt by trade deals with China. So uh, it's just like those, those, we have to understand that we're sitting at a table trying to eat pizza, you know, that was made by our forefathers, our forebears, and like the table was set by our forebears. And now here we are together trying to figure out how to enjoy this meal. Like, let's all just like understand we're all here together. Like, this country makes progress and then it takes two steps back. That's like the history of our country. Like, and at this point, you know, Obama was that step forward, you know, and then we got president Trump and, you know, we got one term president Trump and I don't know if there was a second step back, but now we have Biden and I hope that's not the second step back. I doubt it will be, but I just want us to understand like, 
we've made progress in the past, we can make it again. Let's just all come to the table and understand like we are, you know, we're, we're here because of people who like weren't like we're here because of our forefathers and let's just figure out how to move forward on the same page, please. That would be my, my hope. Well, that's a nice, like hopeful way to end it. And I know we, we touched on a lot of things. Um, I think some of like the policy issues that you mentioned, like if, if reparations becomes like a legitimate debate, we will have you back on because we can have that debate. Uh, but uh, we don't, I don't think we have time for it now. And it's not necessarily like something that's uh, going to happen anytime soon. Um, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, but that, that would, I, I hope Ollie, that this is not the, the last time we have you here. Yes, please. please All right. Uh, uh, if people are interested in, in you or the new business, where could they follow you? Follow me at All In Moderation, which is spelled O-L-L-I-N, All In Moderation. M-O-D. Get it? Get it. <laughs> my name is Ali. Some people call me All, and, and that's my thing. So I'm, I got big plans for this. Like, I don't have very many hard assets, but I got intellectual assets, and I need to learn to monetize those. I'm going to make something of myself. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm, I want to do big things and I want to help bring people together. So appreciate you guys. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you, Brendan. Have me on. Cool. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll tag Ollie. We'll tag all in moderation um, on our Instagram too, if people want to follow that. And, and uh, it's like a lot of what you were saying, like your hopes and your visions for your business is on a smaller scale where Ricky and I, or at least on a different scale, what Ricky and I are also trying to do in terms of facilitating these kind of continuous conversations. So it's um, that's, that's really exciting for you and, and cool to see, you know, all of us, like our, our journey goes back a, a long way at this point, but to see that all of us are kind of trying to do similar things, I think speaks, obviously, in my opinion, speaks to the need for for these conversations to happen. And, and it's cool that you're facilitating them within your own community and, and in your own way. Appreciate that. You're right. That's, there's definitely need and demand. Yeah. All right. I like that. All right. All right, bud. It's really good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Let me know. America, America, I gave my best to you. So as we were just talking about with Ollie, Inauguration Day, Inauguration Week brings a sense of a new beginning. It's it's like the John Legend sang that song. Like it's, it's a new day. It's a new dawn. And while I know that that optimism is not shared in every nook and cranny of our country right now, uh, I, I think from my perspective, there is a sense of optimism in this new beginning. And whether or not you, you like Biden, you voted for the guy, I think, I, I, think I, I feel strongly that you should be rooting for him to be successful over these next four years. And it's one of the things that infuriated me about the beginning of the Trump presidency, where it very much felt like people were not rooting for him to be successful and were actively like wishing that he was going to be a bad president. And you could even say the same thing at the beginning of the Obama presidency, but that's that's not how it should be. Like when Obama, I remember Obama gave a speech in the Rose Garden at the end of 2016. And he was, he had to face the, the fact that, you know, his party, his candidate had just lost the election and, you know, he, he was going to transition power to, to president, to that uh, president-elect Trump. Uh, and he said, he was like, ultimately, I hope he's successful because we're all on the same team. And we are, right? Like what, it, 
we become so partisan between Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, right, left, where it's like, ultimately, we're, we're all trying to row the same direction. We might want to row in different ways and in different boats, but like, we're all trying to move forward. So in that vein, uh, I want to kick it to you, Ricky, to, to, to what are your biggest hopes? What, are, what, what Where's your optimism stemming from in this new day, in this new era, in this new administration? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think your metaphor falls apart if we're in different boats. I think we're all in the same boat here. But <laughs> um, I I think that's a fair question. And I, and I want, um, I should say that these aren't, the, the list I'm about to hit you with, and, and, I, and I feel like I need to set this up, is not necessarily what I believe, you know, Biden will accomplish, but they are areas that I hope to see some focus on and not necessarily in, in any order. Um, I think coming off of that discussion with Ollie, and now I'm about to jump right in, so here we go. Uh, the, I think number one <clears throat> for me will be uh, addressing racial injustice. And I, and I say that beyond police reform, because I think there are um, a number of different areas. And, and some of these things that I will talk that, you know, some of the, these others, uh, of my, my top five hopes will in a part be thinking about how we're addressing racial justice. I mean, you hear about, um, you know, now when we're evaluating the coronavirus, we evaluate sort of disproportionate impacts on minority communities, black and indigenous communities, um, Hispanic communities, right? So, I know that it is now already a broader part of the conversation, <clears throat> but I think there has to be a more pointed, uh, I'm not sure, it's definitely not a single policy, but it certainly has to be a, a more uh, concerted effort um, to address both historical uh, challenges that that sort of we've created for our society today, as well as these these new things going forward. I mean, we've talked about it in terms of um, kind of access. So, like when we're talking about COVID relief, equal access to those those funds when we're looking at businesses and things like that. But there are so many different um, places where this comes into play. Um, beyond that, I think I really hope that Biden picks up where Obama left off and exploring and expanding access to healthcare. Um, the Affordable Care Act, you know, certainly did not, uh, was not a resounding success, but did have the impact of getting a lot more people insured. Um, and I think that for any equal society, um, I think access to basic health care uh, is an important foundation. So that would be number two, but you can kind of probably interchange that with number one. Um, I think education affordability is something that uh, certainly at the higher education level, but then, you know, access to adequate education at lower levels um, is, has been a part of campaign discussions on the, on the, uh, on the democratic side. And I'm, I'm hopeful that there is some progress in that Avenue. Um, and then these la the last sort of uh, the last two ish topics that I think, are a little bit more nebulous and a little less like specific hopes for the administration, but I really want to see 
Uh, one, a return to science. So climate change obviously is like top of mind when, when we say that, but really in terms of anything, like a, a fact-based governing strategy um, is something that I'm really hopeful for and looking forward to. What a wild uh, thing that you have to hope for that. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. And I, I agree. That's like top of my list too, but that we even have to be like, well, I hope we use facts in our government this, this time around. <laughs> like, right. And then in, in, along those same lines, I think one of the things that going into the Trump administration, a lot of people were like, well, yeah, but there's only so much that he can do because we have this and, you know, these checks and balances and this, that, and the other thing. I think what we actually found out is that a lot of our checks on presidential power are actually just like historical norms. Like, Oh, presidents like just don't do that. And we had some guy who was just like, fuck that. I don't care. I'm going to do that anyways. And in a weird way. And obviously like when you're the party in power and we've talked about this before, it's never the popular thing to do to like put some guardrails or whatever, put some limits on that power when you are the one at the reins. But at the same time, I think we'd be foolish not to admit to ourselves that some like that Trump himself or someone like Trump is a possibility in the future and that we didn't really like legally protect ourselves um, in many ways. So and, you know, that's the cronyism within the government, his ability to fire people left and right. Uh, I'm talking about not divesting any of his business interests you know, to a real meaningful degree. Like there were so many things that really uh, set his presidency up for, you know, whether, whether in all these instances, they were sort of, you know, all the bad intentions were actually realized or, or even true, just that specter of impropriety was there literally everywhere that you looked. And it was primarily because he was allowed to do those things. So that is, I, th- I think there, I would love to see the Biden administration do some things to protect our democracy a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, I think there's, it almost, if we had two big buckets here, there's part of it, and you touch on this and all I touch on this, but just like uh, tone and, you know, I think Biden's message of, of unity, of, of kind of placing that as his goal, and it really seems in, in many ways like his primary goal so it's kind of like the tone thing in one bucket and then the policy things in the other bucket. But I, I do think from, from my sense, whether it's returning to or trying to build a society in which we are working from the same set of facts uh, of, of, of where we can have debates, but we, we've talked about this many times, but that we have to be able to work from the same set of facts. And um, I think having that in the White House and in like the press, you know, the briefing room uh, is important. And I think that that has to be emphasized. I think Biden, I think he's the guy to do this, uh, but he needs to go to the places in the country that did not vote for him and, and try to to mend as, like, the fences as much as possible and try to bring these people back into the the grand tent of democracy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 grand, the grand tent of... Uh, right. Of just like being part of American society. I mean, I think the one, one of the things that I picked up on that, that Ollie was saying when I was kind of asking him like, you know, where, where could you even hope for something like unity? Um, was he was like, what, well, you know, I'm going to this planning committee and, and sometimes we 
get so focused on these like huge, like, you know, the, the issues that face us are mass, so massive, right? Structural inequities, uh, systemic racism, climate change, like these, all of these problems are at scales that like as individuals, you cannot even fathom. But he was like, I have hope in my little township. Um, it's not even that little, right? More sounds big, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like the individual battles that make up the war are much less, um, they, they don't require that kind of huge scale thinking that often leads you to, to, to give up on something. Um, and I, and I, and I guess, you know, adding an additional one, like unity on day one was never a possibility. Um, but rather than, you know, fight these like huge scale battles, like I'd love to see focusing on sort of the smaller things like where are the wins that we can get that everyone should be able to agree on right and that when you can get those wins then you can start to build some con- consensus and again like we're obviously there are going to be huge policy disagreements and that's fine but if we can build on certain things whether it's like an infrastructure bill like policy wise but that people can all right we have this common ground positive things are happening which makes the fights a little less bitter and so partisan and and so divisive uh Oh, I said like divisive. Uh, I know you can't say that. I never say it like that though. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I think kind of building that. And it, it is, it's huge. And I don't know, I have no answers for how to kind of get back to a tone of stability. But I, I'm hopeful that this administration will do that. Because even, like, I, I never really liked when people are like, well, look at what the president does. Like, and when people are ascribing that for kind of all of the evils, when people in middle school are like, speaking to each other disrespectfully or rudely like upon further reflection i think there is something to that when the person that's dominating the news is and is just everywhere is setting a tone of disrespect uh for people and i, I think and i i guess i'm hopeful that biden will, will not do that and, and we'll try to work you know not only civilly but we'll try to actually work with other people and that goes to the policy points that you said where i i hope that he he continues to try to actually work with Republicans. I, I know there's a lot of pressure on him from the left to eliminate the filibuster and or and or govern with uh, executive orders like so much of Trump's governance was. Uh, I don't think that's the way to govern. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad that he's resisting those overtures so far, but that pressure will build. And obviously it takes two to tango. Republicans have to be, have to be willing to work with him and compromise with him and to try to get things done. Uh, but yeah. I... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, I was going to like, you know, the flip side of my hope is the the problem. And we, we bring it back to situations like primaries and, and just individuals not having the right incentives. Like, you know, folks on the left basically constantly bringing up the kind of the litmus test. Are you passing as the right level of progressive or not? Um, and then on the right, it's it. I mean, you should like, you know, if you watch, watch Fox News like I do, which is like kind of sarcastically or ironically on a, on a semi-regular basis now, um, just watching the things that they were picking on at, at the inauguration, if only because they know that like getting people hyped up and angry is the easiest way to continue to pump their ratings. And that's 
very much similar. Like, you know, when we talk about kind of the representatives on the extremes, it's very similar. The easiest motivating tool is like, how do I get you mad? Um, and that's going to, that's going to keep you coming back to me. And that's, I think something that, you know, we get hopeful when we hear that, like our friend Ollie is coming up with, with, uh, uh, an organization that he calls all in moderation. Our friend Brando is like coming up with <clears throat> a, a place where he wants to write about uh, people who want to have constructive disagreements, but don't need to be, I don't need to be mad at you necessarily. Um, like I, you know, I, I, I don't know that, that um, that's where I start to like doom scroll and spiral into dis despair is that like, I just see that, the incentives are set up for people to just keep feeding the anger machine. Um, and that makes any type of constructive because all of a sudden it's weakness. If you even have the conversation with somebody on the other side. Yeah. And it's, it'll be interesting from a media perspective where there's been like a, a championing of Biden's like boringness uh, in what I would call the main, mainstream media, liberal media, whatever. Uh, and that's good. Like policy is boring. It's like the nitty gritty work of governing and making things better. And Ollie alluded to this too. Like that's, that's not exciting stuff to, to read or watch or listen to, but that's the stuff that's necessary. Uh, and so it'll be interesting if the media in a week from now, a month from now, a year from now is still championing the boringness because Trump for all of his flaws and because of his flaws was a ratings bonanza for, for all sorts of media. And, and he drove media in an unprecedented level, at least politically, for five years here. And the media, whether you love him or love to hate him, that, that, that fed the beast. Uh, and so when you don't have necessarily the leader of, of our country feeding the beast, hopefully they continue to, to respect like, the boringness of it and, and, and cover and don't succumb to the, the impulse to, to rile people up. I'm not necessarily optimistic about that, but I, I guess if we're, if we're just like listening out our hopes, that's my hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not definitely not, not holding my, my breath on that one. All right. I feel like this was, uh, it was kind of a, it's a different episode for sure. It's the first one of season two. Uh, and we were covering this stuff from like a bird's eye view, uh, this week and just kind of listing out or you're listing out your, your biggest hopes for the administration. I, I feel like starting next week, next episode, we can start to get into some of the governing, some of the policies that Biden is, is actually starting to implement over the first week or two of his administration. And um, I'm excited to have those conversations too. Yeah. We'll probably start with that $1.9 trillion uh, relief package that he's got out there. So what are the Democrats, man, they're, they're back in power, just handing out printing money for everybody. Republicans are only mad now because they didn't think of it first. <laughs> All, All right, man. That's a little preview for next episode. Yeah, see it. See you later. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans, and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is isn't 
always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert. How could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change 
our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the west. We will rise from the wind-swept northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it.